if you aren't embracing every second of this working mom life, you're just not leaning in enough. And so many, you know, this hustle culture, these messages that were thrown on us to keep us on the hamster wheel and make us feel like if we're failing, it's our own fault. Wow, magic makers. Wow, wow, wow. My dear, sweet, wonderful, wonderful magic makers. You are in for a treat and a half today. My guest, Celeste Yvonne, drops so many freaking gems, truth bombs, mic drops, you name it. They're all over my floor because they've all been dropped. They've all been dropped here on this episode Celeste Yvonne is a writer, an author, and a certified recovery coach who writes about parenting, the mental load of motherhood, and especially mommy wine culture and sobriety. And her work has been featured in all the fancy places, Good Morning America, Today Show, HuffPost, InStyle, Us Week, you name it, she's probably been on it. And The reason I think that so many women resonate with Celeste and her work isn't just about the mommy piece. Like if you're not a mom, you will still get a shit ton out of this episode. I think people resonate with what Celeste speaks about so much because really What we're talking about when we're talking about mommy wine culture and mental load of motherhood and all of that is (laughs) the patriarchy. It's always the patriarchy, you guys. But when you think about the systems that we live in, the, the family system, the work system, corporate system, capitalism, When you just, you think about all the places that we sort of get plugged into without questioning them, we often find ourselves feeling like something is wrong with us when we don't feel capable of existing or thriving in the systems that we have put upon us. So what I mean by that, say you're at a job and it's a not a great environment. And there is a lot of blaming or gossip or like get being on a hamster wheel of trying to achieve like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And you feel you're getting burnt out and you feel like, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm not capable of doing this job instead of questioning. Maybe no one should be able to do this job. Maybe no one is capable of doing this job and being a healthy person. Same goes for motherhood. Feeling like, well, Susie Sunshine seems to be able to have four kids and do all the PTA meetings and go to all the soccer games and have the Instagram perfect life. Like if she can do it, why can't I? Something must be wrong with me. Instead of questioning, maybe Susie's not so happy. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that uh, tumbler that says mommy juice on it that has Chardonnay in it isn't a great solution <laughs> for the mental load that Susie Sunshine might be holding. 
There is also something that I want to start this intro with to talk about, which is the importance of community and honesty and sharing what it actually is like to experience your life with other people. So often when we feel incapable, we also hide the struggle that it takes for us to show up in the world. We present in a different way than what is really going on inside of us. I am very guilty of this. This is why I got into Al-Anon. <laughs> this is why I sought uh, codependency recovery because the exhaustion that I felt of constantly trying to people please and present this very shiny picture to the world of like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm high achieving. I'm, I look a certain way. I act a certain way. I sound a certain way. That all came crashing to the ground. And I, the only way that I have been able to help with the shame of feeling like something was wrong with me for not being able to hold all of that up all the time was by being honest about like, does anybody else feel this way? Does anybody else just feel exhausted by all of the things that we are told we have to do to be a successful woman in the world? And other, I watched other people start to raise their hand and I got in recovery rooms and I heard people's stories Nothing has healed me more than having conversations like the one you are about to hear with Celeste Yvonne. I'm not going to keep going on on this intro because I want you to hear her. I also really want you guys to check out her book, which is called It's Not About the Wine. So much of this conversation, yes, we talk about sobriety, we talk about alcohol, we talk about motherhood, but really what we are talking about is the systems the systems that make us feel like we want to reach for that wine or the systems that make us feel like we're not enough to ask for that raise or the systems that make us feel like I should just shut up and be grateful. So it's not about the wine is the title of her book of Celeste's book, but it is also the theme of this episode. I should say, it's not just about the wine. So be kind to yourself listening to this conversation. And if you are curious about exploring any of these ideas further, let us know, let me know, let Celeste know, reach out to us. Oh, and I'm just sending you so much love, Magic Maker. So, so, so much love. You are doing great. You're doing great, I promise you. No matter what is happening in your life, you are exactly where you're supposed to be and you are doing great. And with that, please enjoy this beautiful, interesting, vibrant conversation with Celeste Yvonne. Celeste, man, I already just have to let go. I know I won't get to talk to you about every single thing I want to talk to you about because I could nerd out about this wine culture, what it means to be a woman, sisterhood, the shame, like shame in and of itself, just talking about shame. There's so many things I cannot wait to talk to you about. So thank you for being here and having this conversation with me. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Um, I think there is so much to talk about on, on this topic. Um, and it runs so much deeper than just wine or, um, even just being a mom. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot to dig into. 
Yes. So let's start with the being a mom piece because your book, It's Not About the Wine, really explores mommy wine culture. Can you sort of give us your definition of what does mommy wine culture mean? Yeah. And it's important to distinguish because this isn't about judging or shaming a mom who mm-hmm. drinks wine. Uh, really, the way I define mommy wine culture is the social narrative that playfully jokes or implies that mothers need alcohol to cope with raising their children. So it's a little bit of blaming, shaming, um, offsetting uh, going on there. And um, it's it's got a lot of implications that not only fall on mothers, but our children. Um, it's harmful in a yes. lot of ways. Yes. And it's <laughs> honestly, it seems very convenient, right? Like, oh, just have a glass of wine, blow off steam. But then like get back to work, right? There's this like seedy implication of like, oh, no, no, we're not going to actually not ha- have you to a place where you don't need right, the alcohol. We're just going to like give you your girl's night out and then like, you know, do the laundry and do the carpool. And it, yeah, it's the ultimate multitasking mirage because mothers can still drink and still do all the things, right? You can, I thought I was being such a badass by drinking my wine while doing my laundry. It felt like a hack in a way, uh, but all it did was keep me from demanding uh, better structures and systems in place at home, at work, and societally to better support mothers. And I also, think that mommy wine culture, this notion that we are just one glass away or a bottle away of of fixing all our problems really gaslights women by implying that their problems are something a glass or two of wine can fix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how, again, convenient that it makes money for alcohol companies and feeds the patriarchy. I know I sound like the Barbie movie, you guys, but really like... If you think about this, if you think about how that actually keeps us plugged into an existing system that absolutely is broken, right? Like it really keeps us small and it keeps us working and it keeps us on the hamster wheel, which is another thing that I wanted to talk about with you is you've uh, spoken about this idea of the hamster wheel and I would love for you to talk about that for a second, because it really, like, it seems like it should be obvious, but the hamster wheel, there's like this point. If you envision you guys, you envision this hamster, like on the wheel, and then the wheel starts to kind of take over. And it's actually not about the hamster anymore. It's the momentum of the wheel that is keeping the hamster trying to catch up faster and faster and faster and faster. And like, if you want to not be flung into, you know, flung off the cliff, then you have to like, just go with the momentum of the wheel. And it kind of got me thinking about like, how do we catch ourselves before that momentum takes over? Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) And I'll tell you when you are drinking and numbing out, it's easier to stay on the hamster wheel and not question it. We also live in this culture of busyness where being busy 
is almost a mark of success mm-hmm. uh, of being a quote unquote good mom. And again, that's just a hamster wheel that is going so fast. You don't have a chance to take a step back and question why am I so freaking busy or what can I take off my plate? Because you are going fast and you are numbing out. Mm-hmm. And both of those things just keep you on the wheel itself instead of looking from a maybe a bird's eye view of, for me, it was, do I even want to be on? Is this the hamster wheel I want to be on? Mm-hmm. I've been I've I've been in corporate America for 20 years. It was for me a and it took me a long time. Uh I was probably several years sober before I was actually like I don't even want to be on this hamster wheel. But mm-hmm. I had been on it for 20 years and I was told my whole life that the goal is to climb the corporate ladder. The goal is to shatter glass ceilings. The goal is the corner office. Yeah. Uh so I just stayed, you know, just tunnel visions on keeping that hamster wheel going and thinking the faster it was going, the better I was doing and not realizing I was just going around in circles. Mm, Yes. Yes. What I would love if you would tell the story, actually, I'd love to hear from you. Like, when did you start to question the wheel? Like, was there a moment? Was it a slow burn? Did it take a long time? Um, I'd love to hear your story of of how you started to question it. There was a lot of things I think that got me there. I was in a job for over 10 years with uh, little to no in progress uh, or promotions, uh, no salary increase uh, while I'm seeing my my male colleagues grow and and thrive or leave in in a company and thinking it was me, right? And thinking it's just because it's I'm just not good enough. Um, or maybe it's the wrong industry for me and I'm just stuck. So then I moved to another company and I think um and with this company, you know, I I had, you know, the six figure paycheck. I had the office with the view and I felt like I had made it in a lot of ways, but I started to see things where male coworkers would try to take me down. And it felt like I was an easy target. Because uh, you were. Because I was. I, I think um, it's easy to go after. As a mom, I come in at eight and I leave at five. I have to have a flexible work schedule because, you know, I have a child with special needs. I am in and out um, doing stuff. I am not necessarily at my desk all the time. And that is an easy way for someone to point at and say, she's not invested. Yeah, scapegoat. She's not driven. And, and I get that. And, you know, I I look back on that time and, you know, I knew I think there was a point where I knew I was several years sober at this point where I was like, I am not going anywhere. Like there Mm -hmm. is no CEO suite or C-suite office with my name on it. Probably not here or ever because even the women in the company were dog eat dog Yeah, because there's only so many spots at that table. 
And women see each other as competition. And I just was done playing that game. I'm not, I'm not going to fight for that seat at the table because I realized I had so many more things I was interested in doing with my life than racing my way and fighting with other women to get to those spots, those very limited spots. And uh, I was on the wrong hamster wheel. I mean, that's really kind of how I got to that point. Gosh, Celeste, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the parallels between drinking culture and office culture. And that there's some sort of, I don't know if it's a dopamine hit or what, but there's something that keeps you coming back, right? Like there's something that keeps us coming back. I should say collective use keeps us coming back and, or makes us feel that we should just shut up and be grateful and like take what we're given right? Because there are so few seats at the table. And that is something that I think is not talked about nearly enough with women, this idea of voicing, not only am I not grateful, I'm actually unhappy and I need change. I wrote down the phrase that you used, like your male colleagues would thrive or leave Just that idea of are you thriving? Great. Are you not thriving? Leave. (laughs) It's so simple. And yet, how many times do we talk ourselves out of doing something that in the long run would help us thrive? Mm -hmm. Or staying somewhere where we're stuck and thinking it's just because it's our problem. Yeah. We're we're not doing enough. We're not good enough. Uh, even when it's just not necessarily a good fit altogether. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like if I just stick this out, they'll see my value. Oh. They'll see, you know, how hard I'm trying. Oh man, which is, which goes back to like our earliest programming as women, I think of like, I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I have this theory about young men and women where there comes this point where Girls understand that our main job in life is to be attractive, to Mm -hmm. be an object that can be appreciated in order to survive or thrive. Little boys usually are taught to desire. They are taught to go after things. They are taught to seek, conquer, um, compete. And inevitably girls, we take that programming with us into adulthood. And there really isn't a point where culturally we're taught to question that, right? Like we get proposed to, um, it's not our decision. It's like, we have to be proposed to, or, you know, becoming a mom, your body is not your own anymore. Your life is now you know, it's a beautiful experience for, from what I hear, I'm not a mom myself, but that doesn't mean that there's not factors that kind of keep you in that pleasing, mothering, nurturing, giving, uh, place, 
in your life. And while that can be beautiful, there has to be a balance as well. Right. And when you seek out that balance or when you try, when you question uh, or express concern, you are labeled, um, you know, whether it's at work, you know, you are are not a team player, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. And in motherhood, you are labeled the worst label. I think mothers probably have to hear, which is you're a bad mom or you're not an invested mom, which is probably the cruelest thing you can say to a mother. Um, the, it's the worst thing I've ever heard. And, um, for what, you know, for, for saying that, um, this is exhausting and, um, hard and, uh, I need better support. Like, I mean, that's, I guess, you know, if we want to take this all full circle, that's why it's so easy to lean on alcohol instead of speak up. Because when we speak up, it implies we can't do the job. It implies we're not grateful. It implies this is really hard and uh, it's more than one person can carry. And when people hear that, they can take it and twist it to say, you're, you're just, maybe you're just not cut out to be a mom. I mean, and that's so fucked up. And yet here we are. So it's so easy to just instead internalize it and turn to alcohol or drugs and just let it soak in you. Uh, because we have been Hot since the beginning, you know, don't be the squeaky wheel. Yeah. Don't be a nag. Don't be, a, you know, the, the that girl. Yeah. You know, the loud mouth, the whatever you want to call it, bossy. You know, can you imagine, you know, women being called bossy is meant to be negative. Right. And um, there's so many ways that I think we instead just numb it out, numb anything negative about our experience out because the alternative feels even scarier. Wow. Yes. Gosh. And as you're speaking, Celeste, I'm uh, reminded of something that comes up in Al-Anon meetings. I'm a, just share with the pod. I am a grateful member of Al-Anon. I absolutely will respect everyone else's anonymity, but I feel strongly that if a program is doing really good things for you, I feel like I want to talk about it because who knows who might need to hear about Al-Anon and that experience. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about something that comes up in meetings, which is the do's and don'ts of Al-Anon, which we read at the beginning of every meeting. And one of them is don't be a doormat. And one of the do's is do forgive. And I come back all the time to the do's and don'ts more than the steps, more than almost anything else, because they're so beautifully simple, um, but also so hard. Like simple doesn't mean easy, right? And the idea of don't be a doormat to me, I think it's something that actually, um, addiction, alcohol, and codependency, it's like this really enmeshed point where 
you, everybody's trying to assert control in some way, like to have some semblance of, I am in control of my life. Right. Yeah. And being a doormat in some ways, this is so convoluted and multi-layered. So thanks everybody for bearing with me while I talk this out live, live from New York. It's my brain. Um, (laughs) when you are thinking about being a doormat in a way, it's like a way of controlling how other people see me, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I just, am, if I'm just a yes girl, if I acquiesce, if I don't make a fuss, everything that you just said, then I get positive reinforcement from that. I get good feedback. So let's talk about How do we start to speak up in a world that does not value us speaking up? What do we do? What do we do, Celeste? (laughs) What do we do? You know, I feel like it has been kind of ingrained in us too, uh, culturally growing up to be the doormat, right? To keep it in, to not complain, uh, to cherish every moment. You know, I think about motherhood cliches, but... um, (laughs) It's uh, to be the martyr. I mean, the motherhood martyr is, you know, such a common, and, you know, I took that on too. When I first became a mom, my goal was to be the best mom anyone's ever seen and make it look easy. Mm. You know, I wanted to do all the things. I wanted to make it look seamless. I wanted to look like um, I had the motherhood instinct uh, that I'm just one of those people. Uh, Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that came from? You know, I think it came from having a mom who did all the things Mm. and never complains, you know, in part. And then the media, you know, there's even a movie called I Don't Know How She Does It. (laughs) Uh, We you you think of the the TV shows of that time from the 80s and 90s with the mother supporting player who always had a smile on her face. She was just always a beacon of wisdom, but subservience and um, uh, support. Yeah, She always had her shit together. Uh, and I think it was easy to think that that's the goal, but to add to it, being a corporate badass, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, the, the feminist in me was like, but I'm going to also maintain my corporate job. I'm also going to make that look easy. Like yeah. I'm going to be doing it from both sides and um, showing people that I'm going to be leaning in, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the message we got <laughs> 10 years ago. Just lean That's in. That's it. That fixes everything. If you, <laughs> yeah, if you aren't, if you aren't, embracing every second of this working mom life, you're just not leaning in enough. And um, so many, you know, this hustle culture, these messages that were thrown on us to keep us on the hamster wheel and make us feel like uh, if we're failing, it's our own fault. We're failing personally. It's not a systemic issue. It's not a cultural issue. It's not a community issue. It is a you thing. Mm-hmm. 
because we have this whole thought process of individualism in this country and, and in other countries too, but really that American pull yourself up by the bootstraps mindset that the only thing stopping you is your mindset. You know, the only thing keeping you from doing all the things is uh, your your own self and not having a positive attitude or whatever you want to yeah. call it. So I think so much of that kind of bleeds into where we are today in modern days of numbing out, mm-hmm. tapping out, and still trying to look like we have it all together. These impossible parenting standards we've presented as picturesque, as Instagram feed worthy, despite it just being unrealistic and so super unsustainable and not mentally healthy in any way, but it looks good on paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it that also brings me to the topic of privilege. Because mm. when I think of mommy wine culture, to be honest, I think of a blonde white woman, right? I think of For good an reason. affluent white woman with a glass of Chardonnay, like with a blowout at girls night. Like that's what I think of. Or I think of an affluent white woman taking a bubble bath with a big glass of wine, right? Um, or I think of the, this is, um, I have a lot of family in Utah and there's like, it's so interesting because this doesn't have to just be about wine. You guys like this can be fill in the blank, like binge vice. And I say Utah because in Mormon culture, there's a lot of non drinking, but there's a lot of judgment around it. So they just not they, but like you see other things fill that vacuum. Right. And there's like, again, that shiny Instagrammable, perfect mom, affluent, privileged picture that is absolutely not attainable or sustainable for the vast majority of us. Right. And I know I'm speaking as a white woman who wants for nothing at the moment. However, like, we have to consider. Like, is there a piece of mommy wine culture that feels almost a little bit attractive because we get to kind of fit the character of privileged white lady? Well, 100%. Mommy wine culture is absolutely a message of privilege that the BIPOC community or low-income communities are not afforded. They cannot, most of them will not take the chance of posting memes or pictures of them joking about slipping alcohol into their tumblers to survive motherhood because of the stigmas that are indoctrinated into our culture around being a person of color and consuming alcohol or being a low-income person uh, and consuming alcohol. Because societally, we have decided that would make you a bad mom. Yeah. We have a stigma around what that looks like and what that means, which is why 99% of the time you're going to see it's the white women, the affluent white women posting these images because they can. They can. Yeah. It's a because privilege. they can and they are not going to be shamed or bashed for it um, in the same way that other people would be. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let's talk about shame. I love talking about shame. Shame is it's getting rid of it is like the, or not getting rid of it per se, but like naming it helps all manner of ills. And I heard you talk on a different podcast. I'm it's slipping my mind, which one about like initial shame feelings around getting sober. Mm. And I would love to talk about that because again, in my own Al-Anon experience and hearing stories of others, there's just, there's so, so many people are held back from exploring sobriety, exploring support outside, you know, of their own secret inner world because of shame. So can you talk about that for a second? Just like that initial, what was that like for you initially? Yeah, I, I refrained from quitting drinking probably, uh, for a long time before I actually did, uh, because there was so much shame around this idea of having to be sober, Mm. not getting to be sober, having to be sober, uh, and feeling like that I had essentially lost my seat at the adulting table Mm. because I'm not capable of drinking like 80% of Americans. And now I was doomed to the kids table drinking Capri Suns for the rest (laughs) of my life. (laughs) So much shame around this idea that I wasn't capable. I wasn't capable of doing something that most people are capable of doing, which is moderating my drinking. And not ever questioning the substance itself. Yeah. Always feeling like most people, normal people, I say that in quotes, can drink normally, whatever that word means. And because I can't drink an addictive substance normally, that makes me, uh, you know, abnormal. Mm-hmm. And I felt so much shame around that, that when I did quit, I kept it a secret. I didn't want anyone to know. I thought this was a weakness. I thought this was something that people would think less of me. And I didn't want people to think less of me, especially, you know, to really dig in to my greatest points of insecurities, especially as a mom. Mm. I didn't want people to label me as a mom with a drinking problem. That felt like the worst thing someone could ever call me or think of me as. And um, I didn't, I I still clung to this idea of being this great do-it-all mother. And that felt like the worst thing anyone could ever see me as. And it's just so interesting because in my sober journey, as I've had more time to sit on it, but also educate myself, learn about how alcohol works on all people, not just people more inclined to uh, develop a drinking problem than others. I have really kind of decided, and you know, I've read books about this that helped me understand that we have a really twisted mindset in this country and culture around alcohol as, you know, it's the only drug we need to explain not using Mm. in so many ways. So for us to have this cognitive dissonance 
that alcohol isn't a drug, which it is, that it isn't a form of diluted poison, which it is. And for us to assume everybody's a drinker until they tell you otherwise, that's kind of the messed up part in all this. Not the fact that I developed a problem uh, by regularly drinking a substance that was designed to be addictive. And socially acceptable at the same time. socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. But more the fact that we live in a society that questions you for not drinking it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I hope through my story and my journey that it becomes less of a question of, oh, you don't drink? Why? And more of a, why drink at all? And, And not to say that to shame people who drink at all, but the assumption that everybody drinks, that's where I kind of get a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Um, and to be more inclusive of non-drinkers without demanding an explanation. Right, right. I will say, even just this year, I feel maybe since COVID, but this post-pandemic world, I do think that there seems to be a lot more discussion about sobriety and sober curious living, even quote unquote, even without a drinking problem. I know that in my community, uh, all of my girlfriends who are my age, like maybe once in a while, we'll have a glass of wine at dinner, maybe, but like, it's not usually people aren't drinking alcohol and more and more I'm seeing alternatives show up, which is really exciting to me. Um, I think it's super telling that alcohol companies are trying to package alcohol as like kombucha or juice or, you know, something that isn't whiskey. Like, you know, we talk about this um, in Al-Anon all the time of like, the picture of the quote unquote alcoholic that we might have in our brain is like this shuffling along bum on the street. And that is not at all, not at all, (laughs) like right reality. So thank goodness there is a more acceptance of not drinking, but it also B is leading to this slippery slope of, I don't know what I label it, like hidden drinking or more acceptable drinking. Uh, high functioning alcoholism and accepting of, yeah, a high functioning uh, alcohol use disorder is what I call it. Whenever I see it, um, you know, somebody who is making jokes about consuming an extreme amount of alcohol and still managing to function the next day. I mean, that is celebrating or laughing at high functioning alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I said earlier before we hit record was my own exploration of forced vulnerability when it comes to alcohol. I think there's a lot of social anxiety at play where when we turn 21, usually for people, for my demographic, it is college where you really, you get bombarded all of a sudden with heavy drinking, right? And you're figuring out, you're getting bombarded with just all kinds of different drinking environments and types of drinks and all kinds of stuff. And pretty much from that moment on, drinking alcohol becomes a bonding mechanism. And 
especially and in, in talking to Emily Paulson, who if you guys haven't listened to that episode of the podcast about MLMs um, and also sobriety, uh, we were talking about this idea of sisterhood and how it is often presented as like a group of women who bond with wine or alcohol present at that bonding ceremony, for lack of a better word, right? Like brunch, bottomless mimosas, mm-hmm. um, bachelorette, you're going to bar hopping. Like there's always some sort of alcohol centric social activity. So to your earlier point, I think it's really important that we consider the social aspect of drinking and also being open to socializing without drinking what that might look like. Yes. I mean, what a concept, right? Um, you know, I was not ready or expecting the pressures to drink on mommy play dates, but, uh, that sisterhood bonding thing really bled into motherhood in so many ways. Uh, you know, you, you look at the jokes about needing alcohol for the PTA meeting or, you know, the soccer games on Saturdays or whatnot. But um, there's a lot of this, you know, what's in that tumbler, mama, you know, wink, wink uh, mindset um, that, again, is really just making light of high functioning alcohol use disorder uh, because it's more often than not speaking to problematic levels of drinking and not necessarily all the time, but enough to, uh, you know, raise alarm bells Mm -hmm. and um, to connect it, you know, with this idea of mommy's need, mommy's just need wine Mm -hmm. feels like this justification that is, I mean, it, it just, it sends so many negative messages. I, you know, I even, unrelated to motherhood. I joined junior league a couple of years ago and I had to, I had to, every single event was centered around alcohol, even their vinyasa and vino events Stop. or, you know, like <laughs> wine tasting and saving the children. Oh you know, my like, gosh. As someone who went to school in the South, I can picture this so accurately. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, you know, I was sober at that point. So I was like, can you not do a single event that isn't centered around alcohol? Vinyasa like, is that just not- and vino. That is <laughs> funny. That is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And also saddest, but wow. Wow. And, I, you know, I don't expect the world to cater to my sobriety, not by any means, but I would love to see more inclusivity. Yeah of non-drinkers at these events or non-drinking at some events, like occasionally offer something that is not centered around not just drinking, but generally heavy drinking as what is going to bond us. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, Celeste, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I want to let everybody know before I let you go about your book, because I do think it would help so many people feel a lot less alone and a lot less crazy because, and I don't use that word lightly. I think that we tell ourselves like, 
as we've said in this conversation, oh, it's me, it's my fault. I can't cope or I can't perform. I'm not capable. And when we hear other stories of like, actually, I'm extremely capable, I'm extremely smart. And like, you're not crazy. I also had this issue. (laughs) I think that that is one of the most valuable things that we can give to the world. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, my book um, shares my story around, you know, how I kind of fell into the mommy needs wine trap and how I quit. Uh, And but also what I did to get to the root of what I was drinking at in the first place uh, and help other mothers who also kind of fell into that alcohol trap to get off, you know, their own hamster wheels uh, to understand uh, what they're numbing out to and why and how to uh, live in a more sustainable way that we don't need to numb out. Uh, in the same way. Uh, so I do that through stories, through research. You know, we women are drinking more than ever really, in today's day and age. Yes, statistically, especially since the pandemic. And um, I wanted to understand why. Um, so I help, you know, kind of delve into why, how did we get here? Why is, why are we here? And, and what can we do about it? Um, collectively, but especially individually, because, you know, me telling you, you know, this is a systemic issue doesn't help you get through your day (laughs) today and tomorrow. um, I wanted to offer tools and support to help you make changes today Mm -hmm. uh, to live a, a life where you don't feel like you are drowning in every aspect. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of those tools, can you also talk about Sober Mom Squad? Yes. And Sober Mom Squad for me was one of those tools because Emily Paulson founded this group uh, in the start of the pandemic uh, for anyone who felt like they had a problematic relationship to alcohol or they were currently sober. And um, we still I mean, I still host meetings with that group every week for anyone who identifies as a mom. This is for anyone who's um, already in active recovery or who's never attended a single meeting like this. They don't know what they're doing. They're scared shitless and they just want to be a fly on the wall because they're not even sure what they're not even sure if they have a problem. Oh my gosh. This that is was so the me. meeting. That was so me like lurking right. in the back of rooms <laughs> for like three yeah, months I, I before mean, I even was like, okay, yeah, fine. I belong here. <laughs> exactly. I feel like virtual has given us this amazing opportunity for mothers yes. to do the lurking yes. uh, and not to feel like we have to get a babysitter, have to make a big deal about it, um, have to put all this mental load effort into um, making this these meetings happen. We can just click a, with the click of a button, check into a meeting, turn our camera off, change our name if we want, and just be a fly on the wall and see if it's the right fit. And I host regular meetings with this group several times a week. And it's my community too. It's where I go for my support. Gosh, what an incredible, incredible resource. I so encourage anybody listening who, if anything that we have said resonates with you, please go check out Sober Mom Squad. Um, 
be that fly on the wall. Give yourself that gift. That is self-care, not a bubble bath. Okay. Like we all love a bubble bath. Yes. But like that is true, deep self-care right there. Finding a community where you can listen to real stories of people being honest and vulnerable and raw. I mean, getting into recovery rooms has completely changed the way that not only that I show up in the world, but like my inner thoughts are different Mm. because I no longer am super concerned about how I appear or what people might be thinking of me. Instead, the voice is now about like, well, what do I want? What feels good to me? Just hearing other people who have similar experiences, I cannot tell you guys enough. I can't undersell what a gift that is. <laughs> oh, me too. I, the com- community has changed my life. I've done sobriety without a community and I've done it with a community. And I would take the community every single time. There's a loneliness that comes in doing this by yourself um, that makes it so hard. And it doesn't have to be that hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> yeah. Well, Celeste, thank you so much for being on Find Your Magic. I'm so excited to read It's Not About the Wine. And everybody listening, I'll put all the links, of course, in the show notes below. Celeste, where can people find you on the interwebs? I'm on social media at The Ultimate Mom Challenge, Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. Uh, And I have a sub stack uh, called The Ultimate Mom Challenge. So you can find me there. And of course, my book is available anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Thank you so much, Celeste. Everybody take care. All right, y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.